Hey guys, welcome to another This Week in Kirby special edition of This Week in Marvel. We are commemorating, celebrating the 100th birthday of Jack King Kirby, one of the foremost creators, not just in comics, but in all of art. I've got with me today Tom Brevoort. Hello, Ben Morse. Tom, you're ready to talk about some Kirby. I know you're excited for this. I am. You can see me crackling. You're crackling as we speak. Yeah, you got the little uh, little circles coming off. You left. That's the sound of a Kirby crackle. Yeah. <laughs> it would be if this was a you know one of the old-fashioned microphones with the yeah. styrofoamy uh, a cover on it, but no, doesn't, alas, doesn't work. Doesn't work as well. It's modern, with your modern technology. This modern microphone doesn't work as well. <laughs> Well, listen, I wanted to start with Kirby pre-Silver Age. Um, I wanted to start specifically when, kind of in the 50s and early 60s, when he's working on just about every different kind of comic. And if I'm talking about monster comics, I'm talking about westerns. Right. Uh, he basically invented the romance comic. I want to speak to his range and what he was able to do, because a lot of people know him just for his incredible superhero work. Sure. But he really had, there was much more to him than that. Right. Well, I think the first thing... And I think it's the most important thing that people have to understand about Kirby. And and this is, you know, this this impacts on your question, but it impacts mm-hmm. on the question of Kirby as a whole because it, it got, it's a guiding principle of pretty much his entire career is people tend to think of Kirby as this great artist. He drew nice things. And he did. He, he mm. had a wonderful imagination and a wonderful sort of stylized approach. Uh, you know, he revolutionized comics three or four times. Mm. But that was not the engine that drove Kirby. Kirby was a storyteller. Mm. Kirby was about telling this. The art was all in the, in the service of a story. Mm. And the story was what interested Kirby, you know, and when he would go down into, uh, I guess it was, uh, you know, in the in during that period in the fifties and sixties when they were living out on Long Island, they had a, a, you know, his studio was in the basement and they called it the dungeon, this mm. little room, and you know, Kirby would go down there and spend twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hours, mm. you know, with a, with a TV or the radio on that he wasn't watching but was sort of ambient noise in the background just. Mm. Yeah, and he wasn't drawing pages. He was envisioning stories. And whether those stories were monster stories or Western stories or romance stories or any particular genre, the part that was interested, interesting to him and the part that drove him was the story itself and the exploration of these ideas and these characters. This is where all this stuff really mm-hmm. comes from. And it's why... Uh, you know uh, uh, the 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 you know Marvel in the in the 60s, while it seemed like it was kind of the end of the line mm-hmm. <laughs> for Kirby, uh, for years he'd been partnered with Joe Simon, mm-hmm. uh, who and Joe did all of the you know pretty much all of the business for the team. Mm-hmm. Joe was, uh, you know, he was the more polished of the two, so to speak. He mm-hmm. was he was you know taller. He was nattier. He was more comfortable talking with uh, publishers and, and money men and so forth in a way that Jack wasn't uh, as comfortable with or wasn't as, as, as facile with, um, whereas, you know, Kirby was just had a, a superhuman work ethic and, and, you know, would produce a lot of work. It's not like Joe wouldn't draw and write and work on the pages as well, but Simon was really the guy that was interfacing with with uh, you know, with the publishers, and when you know the the business uh, you know it hit a rocky patch after the the Senate hearings mm. and all the controversy about horror comics and so forth, uh, you know the two of them kind of divided their assets after their own company 
uh, you know, went belly up uh, mainline. Hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Kirby was kind of on his own again uh, and having to secure work and find things. And, you know, one of the problems he ran into in a, at a bunch of other places was that, you know, somebody would give Jack a story to draw and he'd draw it, but he'd change it. Mm. And he cha- the changes he made typically made it better and yeah. more interesting. Right. But especially in those days, and uh, uh, among certain outfits, that was that was hugely verboten. Like, mm. you didn't make a change to a story. That's the script. You stick mm-hmm. to the script. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, Simon and Kirby would talk about publishers would send them scripts and they would throw them out the window. Like, mm. they were just, they were very devoted to doing what they wanted to do and the stories they wanted to tell. You know, so coming to Marvel, or in those days, you know, Atlas or No Name, because Atlas was really the distribution name, uh, you know, because it was a small outfit and because, you know, Stan was sort of writing everything and writing in sort of the loosest terms, you know, he, he wasn't writing scripts a whole mm-hmm. lot. You know, they evolved this, this way of working, and it was really, I think, Stan with uh, Joe Manili, who had died just before Kirby mm-hmm. came in. Um, you know, along with a couple other people who sort of, you know, he sort of worked out this methodology where Stan didn't like or didn't enjoy the minutia of sitting down and working out page one, page two, mm-hmm. page three, mm-hmm. panel one, panel two, panel three, the whole mechanics of the script. Stan would be excited about talking about a story and this could happen and he does this and, you know, and, and uh, you know, what this meant was he and, and, and uh, Kirby, once Kirby was back and then the other people in the Marvel, uh, 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 yeah, the formative Marvel years, you know, adapted this working methodology that was basically they would talk about it Maybe there'd be a written thing, but it would be a very brief synopsis, and that synopsis might be a summary of a conversation they had. Um, it was never quite as one way. Sometimes it was more one, sometimes it was more the other. But then Kirby would go off and draw the story, uh, and he would expand on it. He would embellish it. Sometimes he'd be coming up with it almost whole cloth, um, and then. Stan would take the boards and, you know, go through them with them, or Jack later on would be writing border notes, and Stan would, would dialogue them. And this combination, this synergy, uh, was to the benefit of Kirby, at least at the outset, because it let him tell the stories he wanted to tell, you know, while there was a story that was, it's Fin Fang Foom, and he's a dragon, and maybe there's a guy, and they do a thing. Within that, you know, to some degree, at that point, Stan wasn't concerned with the minutia of the story. Stan was concerned with the broadest idea of the story. It's this thing, and we've agreed on it. Uh, and even if we've agreed on it, maybe what I get back isn't quite that, or maybe I've forgotten it by the time I get it back. That stuff was all done very loose, but it meant that Kirby had suddenly a, 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 a venue in which he could tell any story he wanted so long as the editor would buy it and accept it. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, it gave him a lot of freedom to be as creative and as expansive as he was. And I think that, as much as anything, is why suddenly the Marvel characters are cut above, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of, you know, the other characters, uh, you know, in that period where it was just Kirby working on his own mm-hmm. um, or with other writers or other editors mm-hmm. at other mm-hmm. companies where he was you know, sort of straitjacketed by the structure of the place. They wanted to put him in the box of, you're a you're a penciler, you draw the script, and that wasn't really what was, what Kirby was about. But getting back to your question, mm. yes, during these periods, uh, Jack did a whole range of stuff. You know, Jack was not specifically a superhero artist, although he had 
uh, clearly a real affinity with the form, the idea of uh, the idealized man. And there's kind of almost an archetypical Jack Kirby uh, superhero yeah. of this era. You know, and it kind of grows out of the Simon and Kirby hero, which is just they didn't tend to have a lot of powers. They tended to be costumed athletes. Maybe mm-hmm. they were a little stronger than usual, sure. but the real attribute was they could they would fight ten guys right. and knock them all over the page and run around and be very energetic and very. But it was it was again sort of grounded, and that's you know it's Captain America, but it's also the Guardian from Newsboy Legion, and it's also Stuntman, and it's mm-hmm. also Fighting American, and it's mm-hmm. also you know all of these characters for whom, uh, and Joe Simon said this over the years, like to some degree. You know, the superhero didn't matter. Like first, you make up a superhero, whatever, whatever it is, whatever he is. He's you know, muscle man, and then it's what you do with that. They didn't care so much about uh, in those days about the character so much as right. that was just the package. That was the method from by which they put forward these sort of split second action stories that mm-hmm. they like to do. Um, uh, but but you know, Kirby could do that in, in or across any genre um, as a as a romance artist. And people think of like you know romance comics or love comics as sort of these sort of you know dippy, sort of very thin, very uh, uh, chauvinistic and very simplistic. You know the 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 pretty girl with the tear running down her cheek mm. as she you know pines for the boy who doesn't notice her. Mm. You know sorts of things, and a lot of them were. But when you look at the comics that Simon and Kirby pioneered in the uh, in the genre and really set out the genre, they're much more like uh, you know B noir movies of the period. They they got a lot more sass and a lot more grit, and the characters are, are have a lot more uh, driving them, and and particularly the female characters have a lot more agency than they do in most of the other stories. Even if they were the lead character who, you know, would emote and would pine mm-hmm. for whomever. Uh, you know those characters didn't just pine they had they had lives and they had problems and they had things uh, you know they they carried through uh the one thing kirby could always do on the page was action yeah. uh you know he was very focused on that and that was his you know that was the thing that set him apart from the pack even back in the 40s um you know his action would explode you know out of the panels then in the 40s they would do all these strange shaped uh, uh, panel gutters and things. You know, the whole page would look like a jigsaw puzzle, and characters would literally burst the bonds of the panels and be punched from one panel to the next, or fists would come out at you in three dimensions and such. And uh, that was revolutionary in comics at the time because nobody, everybody, really still thought of them as newspaper strips. And you right. have little boxes, and in your little boxes, everything is <laughs> is confined. And you could see it if you look at the comics of like 1941 or 1942. After Captain America comes out, every other comic is trying. To be Captain America. Mm. Everybody else is trying to draw that way, and they do it for years. Mm. They do it past the point that Kirby isn't bothering to do it anymore <laughs> because that was such a strong influence. Mm. Um, but yeah, he brought that to his westerns. He certainly brought that to uh, you know nobody else could do as many big, ridiculous uh, you know Godzilla style oh, yeah. uh, monster creatures and still have people remember them and talk about them uh, uh, fifty years later. Yeah. I don't know when you talk to and it's you talk to Joe about. The mm-hmm. Kirby stuff. I don't know if, if you got onto the subject of Moomba no, <laughs> at any point. I didn't. But, but Joe drew Moomba. Uh, at, it was uh, in the the spread that introduced Angela at okay. the at the end of uh, 
Age of Ultron. Uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And, 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 you know, Joe, Joe developed this entire backstory of Moomba. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, the, they're like the buffalo of, of space, and they yeah, taste great. They're like the chicken of the... And he would just go on that's and do awesome. this thing, and it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a Jack Kirby design from 1960. Yeah. That awesome. that you know the design itself has just inspired Joe to come up with this absurd mm-hmm. set of backstory that never appeared anywhere, but Amazing. that just delighted him enough that he would mm. he would tell it to everybody. Love it, love it. One of the things Jack is kind of known for is bringing his experiences to the page. Mm-hmm. Whether that's his upbringing, there's some parallels there with Captain America. Certainly, there's a lot of him in the Thing, uh, maybe a little bit in Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Where did you see Jack's experiences, his life experiences, both from childhood, in the war, other places? How did they impact his work, and where were they most significant? Um, well, everything, every story that Kirby did, uh, you know, had on some metaf- on some metaphoric level, was about him and his experiences, and about the world as he saw it. Mm. You know, and again, I wasn't I wasn't there. I've mm. just heard and read and talked to and spoken with a bunch of people who were. Mm-hmm. But stories like the Galactus trilogy, you know, on on some level were inspired by the fact that it was the '60s, and one of the things Kirby was seeing was were these bigger companies swallowing up tinier outfits and sort of absorbing all the the pieces of them that were of value and discarding all the stuff, including sometimes the people who uh, uh, you know who didn't matter to them you know these sort of ravenous uh, you know un, 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 uh, unquenchable and and unconscionable things and you know again metaphorically that's Galactus and that's the fantastic Four battling Galactus it, mm-hmm. it's the you know the metaphor on which the story works for him and he gets emotional connection to um, certainly, you know the 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 most profound experiences for Kirby were the years he spent in the war, mm. because you know uh, unlike a, a, any number of other uh, uh, comic book creators of that era, all of you know whom served and and did well by their country and did things, um, you know a lot of them ended up, you know on the home front, you know using their their artistic talents to produce uh, you know training films or or. Uh, you know, instructional manuals or pamphlets or things. Uh, you know, and uh, Kirby was an infantryman. <laughs> Kirby, you know, when when you when you say that Kirby was in the was in the military, uh, Kirby was in the military. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he was he he walked across Europe with a with a machine gun, uh, and and uh, you know, again, those those experiences. You know, I, I've met him a couple of times in the '90s. And, you know, any time he would be there for, for, you know, a couple of minutes, war stories would come out <laughs> because they were so strong to him. Right, and, you know, like he really story. like that, that was that that was a place that put him through a crucible where he saw things that he could not unsee mm-hmm. ever. Uh, and that really affected him profoundly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, to a great degree, informs everything any any of the struggles of you know the marvel characters the other characters are all kind of filtered through the perception of uh, those life experiences those those struggles where you know whether it's ben Grimm struggling to get back up after a cosmic powered doctor doom has knocked mm. him down mm. uh you know or thor having to go through some hell because somebody has stolen the odin ring and now has odin power and is uh, uh, you know, way more powerful than the, the, than he is, but he's got to kind of like fight and grit his teeth, and even as the flesh is being stripped off him, he's got to fight forward and so forth. Going through these things, part of the reason all of these things, uh, you know, 
are, are so affecting directly is that they're coming from a place of emotion. Jack is not just drawing a drawing of of a guy punching another guy. He's he's feeling it. He's remembering it as it happens. He's sort of in, in investing that image. Mm-hmm with his emotion and his experiences you know you could find more tangible whenever he did actual war comics whether it was the sergeant fury issues he did or the run he did for dc on the the losers in the in the 70s uh you know a bunch of his war stories get filtered into and through that lens Mm. Uh, and probably the the losers is a little more they they were both sort of fantastical Mm. war comics they were war comics about uh, you know, cartoon wars, mm. um, but the losers were slightly more realistic than the '60s Howling Commandos, who were very much a, a uh, again a B movie war comic, superhero war comic. Yeah. You know, Sergeant Fury, a you know, grenade would go off at Sergeant Fury's feet, and his shirt would get torn, <laughs> and he'd keep fighting because that's you know that's what you did. They would fire nice. off a lot of guns, and yet nobody got hit. Nice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, A team style. You know, yeah. it was very much that kind of. It's a war comic, but it's really an adventure comic kind of a, a, a thing. It's not the reality of war, so stuff tended to be, uh, it tended to have to be because of the idiom watered down or, or pulled away from reality. Whereas, you know, doing stories about you know gods or creatures of myth or mutants or whatever, you could actually get more strongly into those emotional bits of intensity because it's all fantasy and thus uh, it can actually be more real in a way, yeah. if that makes sense. I think it does. Did you catch all that, Andres? It makes sense. We have confirmation. All right. Um, you mentioned Thor. I want to talk about Thor for a second. I want to talk about Kirby's recurring use of mythology. Right. The fact that he always seemed to like to check in on old gods, but then, you know, his stuff over at DC with the new gods, his stuff at Marvel later with the Eternals. It seemed like he had a knack for wanting to either re-explore old mythology or create new mythology. What do you put to that? Well, uh, you know, uh, Kirby was Jewish and came from a family that had a really strong uh, you know, storytelling tradition. Like mm-hmm. That's what the, the families, not, not, not just of the Jewish families, but a lot of immigrant families during that time, right. it was a very oral tradition. You would hear the stories not only of your family, but of whatever myths and legends and stories and wives' tales uh, and, 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 and things that, uh, you know, were applicable to you. That was what entertainment was. There was, you know, in those days, no television mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, certainly before Kirby's time, not a lot of, of even radio. There right. would be live performances or live music or whatnot, but mostly you entertain one another by telling Great the stories. stories. And so the storytelling uh, uh, gene, the storytelling uh, 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 idiom was something that was very much baked into Kirby from his youth. Uh, and I think he was very fascinated by, you know, the, 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 the question of mythology and all of those characters. But also, where does man stand in relation to, you know, God slash larger beings? Mm-hmm. You know, Jack was Jewish and he was, I, I don't know how, how devoutly practicing he was. I don't know where on the spectrum of, of that he was, but he was absolutely a, 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 a man who kept his faith. Uh, and who explored that faith in 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 and through his work, and so mm-hmm. I think he found something in dealing with, uh, you know, the the gods of antiquity or these questions of the gods of antiquity and reframing them in a modern way, which is really what Eternals is. It's kind of yeah. saying all those guys that we thought were gods when we met them 
in the you know the 12th century or whatever they're, were, were they're actually yeah. super beings you know from space or affected by space and they're actually still around and they're actually a science fiction concept not a fantasy or a magic concept mm-hmm. um, you know that really appealed to him in the sense that it was sort of continuing and building upon that storytelling tradition mm-hmm. that as you know I don't know whether Kirby first heard the story of Icarus from his mom mm-hmm. or in some book he read as a kid or whatever but he could then reframe that and turn that into Icarus the mm-hmm. eternal who experienced that story but but there was more to it because he was actually an eternal and uh, he didn't uh, you know fall and die he fell and people thought he was dead but he wasn't and he was actually uh, uh, this thing um, you know again I think that that the profundity of that and the scale of that uh, was was something that he could relate to in a in a personal way, and I don't know if that was, you know, to some degree his his faith had been uh, tested and put mm. through the crucible of having lived through the war and having seen these awful things and mm-hmm. having to grapple with where is there justice in a seemingly chaotic and unjust world? I, you know, the the particular factors that that drive somebody, uh, you know, you can't know all of them until unless you're the person. Uh, but it certainly was a theme he liked. And again, it let him uh, sort of recast the the stuff of those ancient myths in a modern-day parlance. You know, Thor, the Marvel comic, the Marvel superhero Thor, uses and pulls on a lot of the classic North, Norse mythology, uh, but it also remixes it uh, and, and, and turns it into a superhero strip and, and, and combines it with these sort of modern ideas of, of the, the modern day superhero um, so in some ways it's it's the truest mythology because all the superheroes really were was you know dressing up the 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 sort of mythological hero of yeah. the past hercules begets superman mm-hmm. same kind of idea the really strong guy who goes out and fights for the little guy mm-hmm. or, or faces these big challenges and has to overcome things even bigger than him um and so thor and other characters like that you know the humans uh, are, are sort of similar to that in their own mm-hmm. way. Uh, and as you say, the new gods, yeah. uh, certainly, and the Eternals, uh, and even the stuff he got into you know, right towards the end with Captain Victory and mm-hmm. Silver Star, the creator own stuff he did, you know, all kind of comes back to a lot of these ideas, right. you know, of, of even man transitioning into God and science pushing things forward to a certain point mm-hmm. and where, where, where one thing ends and the other thing begins. So... Kirby left Marvel after a time in the 60s, um, did a lot of work, created Fantastic, helped create the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, the X-Men, you know, running down the laundry list. Then he went over to DC for a bit. Then he comes back. Right. What's changed when he's come back? How is Kirby different and how, you know, he creates a lot of new characters like the Eternals, like Devil Dinosaur, like Machine Man, but he also has these huge runs on Captain America, on Black Panther, revisiting these characters he's known in the past what changed during his time away well uh, more things changed i think in the industry Mm. and around him than anything you know kirby went over to dc kirby left marvel because uh you know he was sort of unsatisfied with 
his place and and of what he'd gotten and and even the acknowledgement of what he had done like he had he had no feeling of security the thing that mm-hmm. drove kirby throughout his life it, you know was always i need to i need to put food on the table yeah. i need to make sure my family is taken care of yeah. uh, and 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 you know past a certain point you know once you get to the marvel era in the 60s kirby's in his 40s and by the time you get to the 70s he's transitioning into his 50s and getting to a point where you know he's got to be realizing he's not going to be able to work at this level forever mm-hmm. um, you know whether it's just you know being hunched over the board for that long is just more physically draining mm-hmm. uh, you know whether he's having you know starting to have any kind of trouble with his eyes or even just the long hours of that you know he wants to try and transition into the next thing but he's still sort of pigeonholed particularly in the eyes of the people that have now bought Marvel who weren't around for the early stuff and don't really know how much of a contribution he made story-wise and character-wise. You know, they think he's just, you know, he's the guy that drew the stories. Because that's what you'd think. Um, So, you know, he goes to DC, uh, you know, makes the deal with with Carmine Infantino and the notion is he'll go over there, he'll create a lot of books, he'll, he'll draw stuff, he'll write stuff, but he'll also sort of oversee and edit and transition into kind of being this... Uh, you know, idea this comic book factory, and it didn't quite work out that way for a myriad of reasons. Um, so coming back to Marvel, uh, you know, I don't know that the door was ever closed to mm-hmm. Jack to come back. I think Stan always would have wanted him back. Right. But having gone away and come back, uh, you know, his situation wasn't quite the same. In some ways, I, I think it had to be a blow uh, to him that he went out, you know, outside of Marvel. And despite all of his efforts and energies and despite all the stuff he's created that have that has huge value, clearly, as we're gonna see when the Justice League movie opens yep, in a yep. in a few months and, and is just, you know, rife with, with stuff that he, you know, generated while he was mm-hmm. at DC for those couple of years, um, uh, you know, he had not been able to have the kind of success that made made him be able to be as autonomous as he wanted to be. So coming back to Marvel to some degree had to feel like you know, it's the only again. Once again, I'm I'm on the only port in the storm. I have mm-hmm. to go back, uh, but also because he'd been away, even the idiom of comics had changed a little bit in the '70s, particularly at Marvel. That was kind of an era in which, as you move from Stan being editor in chief to Roy being editor in chief, and the guys that came after him, technically it was editor. There was only one editor in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, the emphasis and what the audience seemed to like and want, uh, it was more verbal like purple prose mm-hmm. uh, very florid uh, 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 captions tended to be in vogue in style you read any of the comics of that era whether right. it's Roy's Conan mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, you know Steve Englehart Doctor Strange comics mm-hmm. or Don McGregor uh, Killraven comics or anything like that it's very it's 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 got more pretensions to the literary uh, and, and pretension is almost really the the thing. Like mm-hmm. it's you read it now, and it's a very thick, you know, almost it's it, it's almost a parody of itself in places where it's so it's so trying to be, mm-hmm. and that's not really what Jack does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the other thing that had happened was there was this sort of shift in the art, the, the taste of art styles, uh, in that Neil Adams in particular had kind of become the poster boy for like the new hot look of comic book art which was very 
uh, uh, you know, illustration-based or advertising-based, very quasi-photorealistic, because what Neil does isn't really photorealistic, but it looks like it is. Right. You know, he exaggerates, but in a way that it looks real. And that's not really what Kirby is doing. And particularly in those days, Kirby was becoming a little more stylized and a little more abstract, whether that was a natural evolution or whether that was just a byproduct of he's getting older and, mm -hmm. you know, the muscles tend to change and your eyesight tends to change and you see things a different way. So even coming back in, uh, you know, whereas when he left, uh, you know, he was he was the top dog, at least in terms of artists. You know, everybody that, that was in the place was, you know, pretty much told, do it like Jack. So, But coming back, he no longer, you know, had that sort of rarefied air. Everybody wanted to work with him. Everybody wanted to have Jack collaborate and either draw the stories they would come up with or they would come up with the things together. But Jack was very much uh, having having felt like he got screwed out of credit for all the things he'd innovated over the years and that Stan or whomever had gotten more uh, than his share he'd been he'd overlooked. He really didn't want to work with other people in that capacity. You know, if he was going to work, he said, like, I'll work with a writer, but that writer is going to give me a full script, paid page and panel. Uh, and that wasn't the way Marvel comics were done in those days. And that wasn't, you know, what you were going to get, we weren't going to get the best out of, out of Kirby doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. He did a couple of those at the very end of his contract at DC, where he illustrated scripts that somebody else had done. And they're perfectly functional comics, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of spark to them. It was, you know, making sure food was on the table. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even in terms of the Marvel Universe, this idea that everything was connected, that really wasn't an innovation of... It was an innovation of Kirby's and Stan's in that they were just doing all this stuff. So it wasn't like they were thinking, we're going to create continuity. It was just, we have all these characters. They're yeah. all our characters. They're all our toys on this table. They and now, yeah. you know, we'll have this villain fight this guy. Or I can bring this character over here. And having introduced this piece there, what if it, it, it bangs up against this piece here? It was really the generation that came later, you know, sort of embodied by Roy and the people that followed Roy who really began to knit the Marvel Universe into what we think of as a, as, a, as a consistent cosmology because Roy was much more interested in that and, and, and finding the connections and you know dovetailing everything together. The Kree-Skrull War kind of being the, the first real sure. prime example of here's a bunch of stuff from a bunch of places that we're going to make into a story. Uh, Kirby had no interest in that. And so a couple of things happened when he came back. Uh, yeah, he wanted to work on books that he could just do himself and mm -hmm. be off and tell his stories, but he was constantly being pulled back both by what the audience, particularly the hardcore comic book audience as opposed to the more casual reader wanted. They wanted mm -hmm. to understand where does the Eternals take place in Marvel continuity? And the answer really is it doesn't. <laughs> Jack's just telling his story yeah, and he's right. not off, at, off at all side. worried about that the Avengers are down the block yeah, or that right. Captain America is around the huh. corner, you know, and the same thing, you know, with all the new stuff he came up right. with. And he came back to, you know, a couple of the classic things and his Captain America uh, run coming back could not be more different yeah. from the Captain America that was there the yeah, month absolutely. before, which was, you know, the very tail end of Steve Englehart's run and a couple of fill-ins and things from, from other guys that, that kind of bridged that gap. Uh, you know, that was much more steeped in both the Marvel Universe and the politics of the day and such. The work that Kirby did was no less political in its way, but it was much more metaphoric. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was much more bombastic. Uh, his, his writing style, you know, there's, there's a lot there, but you kind of have to decode it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't have a very natural... 
uh, lilt, electro speaking lilt. Like you read, you read those comics, and they almost feel alien. It's, mm. but it's in, in a sense, it's like reading Shakespeare. Mm. Like there's a lot there, but you kind of have to decode it. Right, you got to work and, for it. And the average reader just kind of goes, "I just, I just want the characters to yeah. to, 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 to to talk. I want to yeah. understand what they're what they're they're saying." And so, so Jack was at least momentarily a little out of step with at least what the staff, what the editors wanted. <clears throat> and at least what a portion of the audience wanted, mm-hmm. but I think too he, he you know he, he did what he always did he innovated stuff, he he put food on the table he he took any concept that he was given and tried to do things with it, and he did a lot of things you know two thousand and one Machine Man comes yeah. out of two thousand and one yeah right you know he couldn't help but come up with stuff <laughs> that we're still using Devil Dinosaur uh, is a, is now. is a book yeah you know and uh, uh, you know uh, you know but. It wasn't like it was a comfortable fit, and this was the period where, you know, he ended up trans, uh, you know, uh, uh, trans uh, transferring into animation. Sure. Where, uh, uh, you know, uh, that that was fortuitous for him because, uh, particularly towards the end, I think he really thought like I'm out of options. There's nowhere to go. All I can do is what I, I what I can do. I've got all these skills. I've got the thing I do is. You know, uh, write comics, draw comics, make comics, tell my stories that way, and uh, and now suddenly there's no one that will let me do that. Uh, and there wasn't really yet a direct market, and there wasn't really yet creator ownership like there'd be a couple of years later. And right. so animation became this this safe haven where he could be paid very well for coming up with stuff mm-hmm. and generating concept boards or generating storyboards and things, and not even having to. But you know, even more than that, you know, he got health insurance for the first time. Um, you know, and, and and some degree of benefits. You know, he could he could he could put in for for vacation pay. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a way that you can't if you're you know you, even if you're on contract, you're a freelance artist, and mm-hmm. your contract says, you know, you generate however many pages a week, fifteen pages a week, fifteen pages a week. If I had one guy like that now, <laughs> I wouldn't even need him the other three weeks oh, in the month. Fifteen pages, and not just drawing them. Mm. Writing the pages, fifteen <laughs> pages a week, uh, uh, you know, at that level, um, you know, and I get people have talked over the years, like, what if, what if Kirby didn't have to do that much? What if he could have done less, you know, and spent more time on things? How wonderful those pages would have been! And I think there's some truth to that, but I also think that Kirby was so invested in the story, and then the next story, and then the next story, and the next story. He probably he he might have slowed down a little. He might not have worked quite as hard, but he would not have worked. You know, he he would not have overworked in the way we think of. You know, for finally every little line. Yeah, you know, there are quotes uh, uh, from him from old interviews. Uh, you know, things I've heard over the years where he talks about. Uh, you know, we're not making. It's not the Sistine Chapel. This is. You know, we do the thing, and however you get there, you get there, and you do it, and then you move on, and you do it again, and uh, again, and you know, don't don't. Don't uh, overthink it. Don't overworry it. You know, do the thing. And if you see a guy and you like how he draws hands, take those hands and do those <laughs> hands that way and make them your own. And just, yeah, this is what we do. We take yeah. the pieces and we move on and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, so forth. I have totally forgotten where we started and what the question Not was, but problem. I'm sure it was great. And well, I hope uh, somewhere in there I answered it. No, it was great. If well, not, you can answer, ask it to me again well, and I'll forget what it was. No, and, you did a great job. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll segue into the next bit where I just want to ask you, what are some of your favorite Kirby stories? Some of the highlights from all the stories that he worked on? Well, uh, you know, I've made no bones over the years that in particular, 
you know, Fantastic Four is my favorite Marvel comic, and right. the you know the Stan and Jack Fantastic Four is is my favorite run of stuff, and that I'll constantly go back to those. You know, and find stuff in them. You know, to this day, mm. you know, just last week, uh, the the IDW uh, Fantastic Four World's Greatest uh, Artist Edition came out with mm-hmm. all the twice up uh, art from all the early Kirby Fantastic Fours, mm-hmm. and I've I've been through it sort of once, mm-hmm. but it's still sitting in my new living room, waiting mm-hmm. for me to be able to sit down with it and give it the attention. That's right. Congratulations on your move. <coughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> So you know all of that stuff is you know pretty much any any of the the '60s stuff that Kirby did is ingrained into my my DNA at this point mm-hmm. you know to the point where and you know this is true I'll tell you a page I'll tell you a panel yeah for sure <laughs> you know I just know that stuff because I've I've been over it and seen it and experienced it and read and reread it so many times over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, everything he does. Like, I love the fact that we now have two omnibuses of all of Kirby's monster stories. Because mm-hmm. I love those, too. And I read most of them over the years, you know, in one place or another, as often as I could, mm-hmm. from the original comics that at one point you could pick up for a song, and these days you can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's, you know, it's like everything. Like, the, the, the sheer amount of stuff that he did that's in print is phenomenal. Um, and, and pretty much unequal. There's very little... You know, 2001, we don't have in print. Uh, and that just means we haven't, you know, completely figured out the right situation right, yeah. and, and, you know, cut a deal to be able to reprint those 11 comic books. But mm-hmm. pretty much everything else, it's there somewhere. And not just our stuff, but all the stuff he did for DC and all the stuff he did for anybody else. Like, there's a mountain. Sure. Um, but, uh, uh, again, you're, you're asking specifically about, mm-hmm. you know, issues and things and or stories. Yeah, so it's Fantastic Four in general, mm-hmm. you know, in specific. Uh, I think the best looking uh, Kirby comics are between like Fantastic Four sixty and sixty two, mm-hmm. uh, which is the end of the Doctor Doom with the Power Cosmic, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. first two parts of the Sandman. Mm-hmm. Reed gets thrown into the negative zone. Blast Star stories. Mm-hmm. I don't think that 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 Kirby Joe Cinna team ever looked sharper. Uh, then right there, those are those are pristine-looking comic books. Um, you know, I came into Jack's Fantastic Four later, uh, later in the run, uh, and then later in life because I started reading them in the '70s, and I started that stuff with the Marvel's Greatest Comics, mm. the reprints, because right. everything was still being reprinted in the '70s, which is why you could still experience that stuff <laughs> and find it and and know it then. Um, so my first three issues, I was three. I got them all out of a a bin at a at a at a drugstore that was selling kind of uh, back of the truck returns, <laughs> you know, for for like you know six six for a buck at a time. Mm-hmm. The comics were twenty five or thirty cents, so it was a good deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got three issues, and it was they reprinted Fantastic Four seventy six, seventy seven, and seventy eight, mm. which were. It was the end of a, of a Galactus story where the Silver Surfer, to elude Galactus, has shrunk himself down into the microverse, mm-hmm. and the FF have to pursue him there because they need to find him because Galactus is hungry, and unless the Surfer goes out and finds Galactus another planet to eat, he's going to chow down on the Earth. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then while they're in, they're in Subatomica, once they found the surfer and convinced him to go back, they go, yeah, well, we're here. We should go polish off Psycho Man, that guy we fought in that annual a, a year ago, because we're here, and, you know, if we don't do it now, Galactus might eat the Earth, and we might not get a chance. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they go fight Psycho Man for an issue, and then they come back, and the Earth is still there, fortunately. Phew, I was worried. Um, and then they, uh, uh, you know, uh, they do an issue where uh, Reed tries to cure Ben Grimm of being the thing and does just as the wizard uh, uh, finishes the, the his new wonder gloves, mm. which give him crazy powers, and he comes barreling in, and uh, without the thing, uh, the Reed and the Torch have to take him on alone. Uh, and, and they do, because ultimately he's the wizard. <laughs> but he gives a good showing there. Um, and, and uh, you know, those are really, uh, as much or more than anything, those are the three comics that got me into Marvel yes. as a thing. You know, I, I love all the various things that, that, that he did at Marvel and elsewhere. You know, I love mm. New Gods. I love OMAC. Mm. Uh, I got a real, real strong soft spot for Captain Victory. Mm-hmm. I like his earlier stuff as well, the the, 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 the 50s stuff. And in the 40s, uh, I, I like it, but because it's largely interchangeable, uh, I have a harder time mm-hmm. picking, out, picking out favorites and things. Mm-hmm. Like his Captain America's... Are, are are wonderful from a uh, uh, from an influence standpoint. Mm-hmm. Again, looking at them and then looking at what everybody else's comics look like six months later, and mm-hmm. just seeing the difference and seeing how that works. But because everything else, not only Jack but everybody else, built atop them, mm-hmm. they're not as groundbreaking to read now. You kind of look at them and they they look very antiquated. They just look less antiquated than the comics that were around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then character wise. They're very, you know, they're very simple stories done for very young, a very young audience primarily, and so it's harder to, 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 to connect to a lot of that stuff emotionally in the same way. Um, but all of it, the, you know, the issues of X Men he did, all the early Avengers, um, certainly Thor, uh, his Thor, uh, uh, you know, despite some some uh, 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 let us let us say unfortunate <laughs> inking by Vinnie Coletta often. Um, uh, you know, was it was it was really the 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 only Thor I could connect to, because mm-hmm. uh, Thor in the '70s was much more like a uh, a Conan Barbarian strip, or trying mm-hmm. to straddle a line to that, and that wasn't really where my interests lie. Uh, yeah, certainly his Captain America both times. Although mm-hmm. I found his '70s Captain America when I first encountered it, because I encountered it relatively young. You know, sort of weird and off-putting. Yeah, right. But but in a way that it all st- stuck with me. Like you can't see Arnim Zola and and ever forget what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a dude with a with a a TV screen on his chest with his face on it and mm-hmm. and a little camera prod where his mm-hmm. head should be. Um, so really, like you know, there, there's almost nothing that uh, among all that. The couple of issues of. Uh, in humans that he did uh, in Amazing Adventures, those couple of stories that he wrote and drew uh, are, are real good. The two issues of, of Kazar <laughs> that he worked on <laughs> that I think Roy scripted at least one of. Um, you know, pretty much all of it, but but the real the real you know sort of prime strata is those those Fantastic Four issues. What about Kirby characters? Who leaps out to you? Who are some of your personal favorites? Well, my favorite Marvel superhero is the Thing, mm-hmm. and you don't mm-hmm. really get that. And, and really, that's a very Kirby answer. Yeah, that it is yeah. a it is a very Kirby answer. There's a lot of there's a lot of Jack in in the Thing, uh, at least as the Thing developed. 
uh, and uh, you know he's a terrific character. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly again, when I think of the thing, I think of, I think of Kirby's thing. You know, mm-hmm. plenty of people over the years have done wonderful renditions of that character, and he's you know developed and adapted and so forth like anybody. But you know, Kirby's thing is the one that that looks and feels in some intangible way right to me in a mm-hmm. way that sometimes. You know, latter-day efforts for all that they're nicely executed do not mm-hmm. um you know uh, again i like the x-men i liked cyclops cyclops was mm-hmm. my x-men was my x-man he was the guy i liked nobody in the world believes that <laughs> because they're convinced that i hate the x-men and i hate cyclops in particular but they're wrong <laughs> cyclops was my dude there you know i like cap obviously mm-hmm. i've added that a lot of captain america over the years mm. um uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, think more deeply, more, yeah, deep more, more, more even outside of the like the the most obvious yeah, stuff. Sure. You know, I liked. Uh, I'll give you a, a deep one. I liked Oracle, hmm. the big uh, cosmic entity that uh, King Gerador, the 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 uh, king of the trolls, had captured in huh. this three-part Thor okay. story with Ulick and had penned up in a ring of fire because nice. he could see the future. Big space alien. He was one of those. Uh, you know, Kirby Galactus-like characters that never quite made a second appearance mm-hmm. in those days, and so he's not quite so primal. Another guy like that was Prester John, who was in oh, one, issue John, of, yeah. one issue of one issue of Kirby's Fantastic Four, and yep. later people brought him back and tried to do stuff with him, but uh, because he hadn't been around as much. Like I love, I love uh, Modok. Hmm. You know, and I, I find it sort of unfortunate. In a sense, that Modok has become such a comedy character over right. the years. You it's know, very scary. Yeah, well, at least in those original yeah. uh, appearances, those original stories, he's he absolutely is, uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of creepy and 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 insane visual character. Mm-hmm. You know, he's ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, and, and it's perfectly understandable that he's skewed towards comedy over the years, mm-hmm. um, particularly since the kind of character exaggeration you know acting through through uh, uh, a visual that Kirby would do isn't quite as in vogue these days you know in a Kirby comic partly because it was the idiom of film and television but also of comics good guys looked good looked handsome looked square jawed bad guys looked monstrous mm-hmm. uh, and today some of those monstrous designs look ridiculous look absurd and mm-hmm. so you you know you kind of treat them that way sure um you know, that's just the 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 you know the nature of the the nature of the beast. Um, you know, again, I I like stories. There's a the great uh, thing Hulk fight in mm-hmm. FF twenty five and twenty six that ends up with like everybody in it by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But as much as I like the second issue where the Avengers show up and it's everybody, I the one I really like is the is the one that's the thing of the Hulk. Yeah, uh, and that's that's you know a great fight sequence because it's it's not just a fight; it's a fight and it's a story and it moves from place to place and it it, it deals with the environment and the real environment of Manhattan as they brawl up and down mm. uh, the island and the thing you know tries to slow the Hulk down and can't quite get it to happen um, you know I like this man this monster uh, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a real obvious uh, uh, answer that a lot of people will, will go to because it's yep. a it's a it's a one-off uh, I think the best fantastic four story is that four-parter where uh, doom steals the power oh, cosmic, cosmic you know yeah. everybody remembers the galactus trilogy because it was big and world shaking but i think that's really the payoff on that story is those four uh, and that's got a ridiculous visual in it too of a guy in an armored suit surfing around on a flying surfboard zapping people <laughs> um which uh which is completely ridiculous and thus everything i like about comics yeah totally 
So to finish off, what do you think is the lasting legacy on, of Kirby on comics and on Marvel specific? Well, obviously the lasting legacy of Kirby, you know, on the surface is visual. Mm-hmm. You know, his the visuals he created for all of this stuff and came up with the iconography is everywhere. You know, you look at the ads for Inhumans, the 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 IMAX uh, uh, movie we have coming up, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the ones that don't show the actors have the lightning bolt symbols that are the black bolt symbol and that's that's a Kirby innovation he he right. created that and you can still distill it down to that and go right in humans that's what that is mm-hmm. um but really below that again it's 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 not just the surface of things look this way and squared fingers and foreshortening it's it's the 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 stories and the character and the emotion that's underneath all of that stuff the reason this stuff works uh, isn't just that it looks nice, but that it, it affects people, um, and that it it, it 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 rings true, and it's got something to say, and that even if you come to it years or decades later, there's still something there in the the uh, uh, relaying of a human experience that you can connect to. Um, so uh, you know, none of those characters can be divorced from from Kirby, and not just in terms of what the pictures look like you know the stories the adventures they have the experiences they go through the things that get adapted um you know are as much and in certain cases even more jack uh, than they are stan or than they are the other people he might have worked with because you know as i said at the outset the the real key to kirby is he it wasn't just that he was an artist and a guy that drew nice the engine that made kirby go and made kirby what he is and the reason why we've at least not yet had another Kirby as we've had plenty of people that come in that draw very, very well. In some cases, technically far superior to Jack, but what they're not doing is they don't have his insight and his imagination to come up with these ideas and stories. They could draw a beautiful looking celestial, but they couldn't originate the concept of the Celestials and the story behind them and how that links to the Eternals and to the Deviants and how that links to the history of mankind and how within that the individual story of Warlord Crow or the individual story of Thena or the individual story of uh, uh, the uh, Carcass uh, you know, relates to all of that. Uh, it's all the all of them are great, super cool, super distinctive visuals that now we can realize in three dimensions in film and television uh, and everywhere else, and still get tons of play out of in comics and consumer products. You know, we're in a room right now surrounded by ten million uh, 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 you know toys and statues mm. and and characters. You know, ninety percent of which are either Kirby designs or, you know, takeoffs, modifications, adaptations of Kirby designs. Um, but it's, you know, it's really that, 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 that's the, that's the core of it. And that's where the, 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 the legacy of it comes from. You know, if you like any of this stuff, it's not just that Thor looked good. It's the, 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 the values and the stories and the conflicts that define Thor, that make Thor Thor. Even when you put him in a film, that's, got no Jack Kirby drawings in it because it's real people walking around in goofball costumes on sound stages and green screen that's still Kirby that's what the legacy is Tom thank you very much for taking the time sure thing we'll do it again sometime all right 100 years from now (laughs) until next time this is Marvel Kirby's Universe